Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. I don't know if Abby meant for all of us to repeat that prayer after her, but you did a great job. I think it's something that we can all pray together. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a ridiculous competitive spirit. I like to win. I like to win fights. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story that is not going to make you like me anymore, but I have such a competitive spirit. I love to win every competition, every fight, even uh, when my daughter was in uh, therapy and rehab just two weeks after her brain surgery. She was learning how to use her hands again, and the physical therapist invited me to their session so that I could play a, a game with Clementine, my daughter. And the game was Don't Break the Ice. I don't know if you've played this game before, but there's these little plastic ice cubes, and you set them up in a grid, and you put a penguin on top of this grid, and with a little hammer, you're supposed to gently knock out one ice cube, and you go back and forth to try to knock out the ice cubes, and whoever makes a mistake or knocks too hard brings the whole floor down, they broke the ice, they lose. So I'm playing with my six-year-old daughter who's recovering from brain surgery two weeks ago. Did I let her win? No. <laughs> I don't know why, and the physical therapist looked at me like I was a madman. But before you get too mad at me, I think Clementine inherited my competitive spirit. And she, from that moment, started thinking of therapy as a competition that she needed to win. And she won. And so I don't get too upset about that competitive spirit. I think it really started when I was young. When I was a young boy, I saw the movie Karate Kid, and I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And so I asked my parents to put me into uh, Taekwondo, that's the Korean martial art. And so I've been doing that since I was five or six, and, and I did pretty well. I, it was my everything. I think we got a picture of me at a young age. There I am, about eight years old. In 1990, it was everything to me. I was always the smallest kid in my class, and so Taekwondo was my thing. I did pretty well through it as well, even into 1998, winning the Colorado State Championship and being invited to the Junior Olympics. So when I say it was my everything, it really was my everything. And because I was the smallest kid in my class growing up through elementary school and through junior high, I got picked on quite a bit. And all those bullies found out who I really was. <laughs> I was in fights all the time, and I won all of them. It was who I was. It's what I cared about. Even to this day, I still love winning a fight. In the letter to the First Corinthians, we are dealing with a bunch of fighters. We're dealing with a bunch of people that want to be right. They want to be on top all the time. We heard Ted read in the scripture that Paul is so upset at this group of people. Why? What's going on? Well, we've been in this for a few weeks, so you know that the early church is a bit of a train wreck. All they are doing is fighting over statuses. They're fighting about who is better than who. They're fighting over who has the best teacher. 
one of them has been in an incestual relationship, but because of his high status in the community, the church hasn't said anything about this guy. Paul is fired up to help them fix who they are and what they are doing. Not only is he trying to fix these individual problems, but he wants to create a framework for Christian ethics. And this is why this letter endures. This is why the early churches passed this letter around, because they thought to themselves, we don't necessarily have a guy in an incestuous relationship in our church, but (laughs) Paul is laying down some foundations that can help us in almost any issue that arises. The framework he gives us is three focal points for Christian ethics. It is the cross. Have the attitude that was in Christ Jesus, that though he was equal with God, did not consider his equality as something to exploit, but rather emptied himself out, taking the form of a human being, a servant, even a servant who died on the cross. Have in us the attitude that was in Christ Jesus that makes us servants. That's the first focal point. The second focal point is the community. In Paul's estimation, the work of Jesus Christ breaks down every barrier of division and hatred and creates a new people. And this new people will change the world. So, Don't all y'all know that all y'all together is the temple of God, and it is holy, and God resides in all y'all together when we gather. Care for the community. And the final focal point is the new creation. We pray a prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christianity has a goal. It's not to just fly away at the end of our lives and be in heaven forever. Christianity has a goal to bring in heaven's will to earth, to create a new creation where all things are made right. What does that world look like, and how do we work to create it right now? This is the framework for Christian ethics that we still need to hear, I think, today. So what's got Paul boiled up this time is that he hears that people in the community, Christian siblings, brothers and sisters, are taking each other to court. What's the big deal with this? What's wrong with that, you might ask? You know, we're kind of a litigious nation. We do this all the time. If there is actually a real problem, why don't we take it to people that can handle the law to make sure things are absolutely set up correctly, that justice is done. Well, in Paul's day, the court system was a little skewed. And if you had status or wealth, you were always going to win in the court system. Thank God it's not like that anymore, right? So Christians in community with each other, when they would have a dispute with one another, the wealthy Christians, the Christians with some status, would say, I know how to win this fight. They have some tools that the poorer Christians don't have, that the foreign Christians don't have. I'm going to bank 
on my status with the empire, and I'm going to take you to court to take you down. People with wealth and privilege and status use that to tear down people in their own community that they call brothers and sisters, to take advantage of and to ruin people who already have nothing. This is why Paul uses such strong language, shame on you. Shame on you. Don't you know that in the world to come, in the new creation, there is coming a great reversal and those who have had no status will have status. Those that have always been under the thumb of oppressive, oppressive judges will judge with Christ. Don't you know that we have been endowed with such agency, freedom, and power that we can make our own decisions? And yet you haul each other off to court to take advantage of your privilege and status just to what? to win? This is not winning. When you do this, you lose. Don't we have enough sense? Don't we have enough wisdom to handle our problems within the community, to show the world that there is a different way of settling arguments? Don't we have the wisdom and the love and the character to speak to each other as brother and sister, to handle our disagreements together. He goes on to say, man, if you're doing this, why not just be wronged? Why not just be cheated? It's not worth it to win every battle. One time I was, um, I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, and I was dealing with a call to ministry. And at that point in my life, I was a second-degree black belt. I was invited to the Junior Olympics. I was teaching taekwondo classes at my studio. And I was kind of having a crossroad, a fork in the road moment. I didn't realize that I couldn't be a taekwondo tournament champion and give my entire life to that, and also give my entire life to ministry and follow this. And I was kind of having this wrestling moment. And I had this perennial bully. I won't say his name, but he bullied me throughout junior high and into high school. And I can't remember if I was a freshman or sophomore when this happened, but I'd been in plenty of fights with him, and he knew that I could kick pretty fast and pretty hard. Taekwondo is a kicking uh, martial art. I still think I can kick pretty fast and pretty hard. Um, and so we were in gym class, and we were sitting in the locker room waiting for the bell to ring to leave. And, uh, and everybody knew the bell was about to ring, so we all stood up. The bell rang. I turned, and there he was, and he sucker punched me right in the gut, and it knocked the wind out of me. And the bell rang, and he took off. And I had a decision to make. Was I going to go and destroy this guy? <laughs> or was I going to go and be a pastor? And I felt God speak to me in that moment, saying, Rick, you don't have to fight 
anymore. And injustice had been done to me. And I wanted justice. I wanted to make it right. And I could make it right. It was within my ability. But I heard God say, you don't need to fight anymore. And I sat down, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if... uh, I didn't know how to do some sort of nonviolent resistant action, some creative thing. I didn't know what to do, so I just did nothing. And everybody saw me do nothing. He never bullied me again. He never picked another fight with me. And something inside me changed. And I realized I can absorb this. I can absorb this injury. I still feel it. Every time I think about this, boy, I feel the pain. I feel the reverberation through my body. I feel the injury. But I also feel God saying, you can absorb this. You can absorb this. Now, I don't think Paul or the Bible, or Jesus is saying to any of us, be a doormat, let people walk all over you. I don't think in every case you just need to absorb every harm that comes your way. I don't think that's the case. I think that we can confront injustice and also absorb injury because of the cross, because of the community, and because of our future hope. We can absorb injury because we have in Jesus Christ one who identifies with us, one who has absorbed every injury and who knows us and holds our hand through every pain we go through. We have the power to absorb harm. And so in some cases, Paul says, isn't it better to just be wronged? Now, I have kind of a a problem with Western Christianity, with theology, how it's come down to us in this way. Western Christianity, Western theology has tried to boil down the gospel to just a few sentences. The good news of Jesus Christ is primarily forgiveness of sins, right? That's a part of it. Don't get me wrong, it's a part of it, but it's not the whole gospel. And I understand why Western Christianity has said that the gospel is forgiveness of sins. It's because Western Christianity and theology was predominantly written by white European men, and when they saw, when they looked in the mirror, they saw in themselves oppressors. They saw in themselves perpetrators. They saw in themselves sinners. They saw in themselves scum. And so, when they looked to the scriptures for good news, the good news for scum is that there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. And so, they perpetuate the good news is forgiveness of sins. And so, if you're going to participate with the good news, you have to recognize that you are scum, right? Well, that's good news for some of you because some of you are scum, but... (laughs) Not everyone. Some of us are not the people who have 
perpetrated. Some of us are the people who've been perpetrated against. What's the good news for the sinned against? For so many years, Western Christianity has said, you have to find out how you are a sinner so that you can receive forgiveness. That's missing this other part of the gospel, that there is good news for the sinned against, that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister, that Jesus Christ lines up with you and identifies with you, those of you who have been harmed and sinned against, those of you that have been injured, that Christ is with you and identifies with you. The gospel is not just good news for the sinners, of which many of us are, but it's also good news for the sinned against. Diane LeClaire has this book called The Backside of the Cross, Atonement, for the Abu- Atonement Theology for the Abused and the Abandoned, where she explores this understanding. There's a quote in your bulletin where she goes on to say, it is more than just God identifies with those that have been abused or abandoned, although that is true that God can empathize and know our pains. But more than that, those who have died with Christ are also risen with Christ. And the good news of the resurrection is that Christ not only absorbs those injuries, but transforms them into power and strength. God will take your story, the pain that you have endured, transform it and resurrect it into power that will change the world. We aren't asked just to absorb injury, but to give our injury to Jesus Christ who can resurrect it, transform it into something bigger and more beautiful. I got a weird Facebook friend request from somebody last summer. It was that guy, the guy who sucker punched me in the locker room, who for some reason stopped bullying me after that day. And for some reason, he wanted to be my friend on Facebook. And I felt it. I felt the reverberation through my body, the anger. And he struck up a conversation with me. It's like, how are you? The last time we met, you sucker punched me in the locker room. (laughs) But I was friendly with him. He said, I see you're a pastor now. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Would you pray for me? Yeah, yeah, I will pray for you. And I will love you. And I will lift you up to God. And... By some miracle, may God work healing and transformation through this injury that you've brought into my life. May God transform you. May God transform me. May God transform us as God empowers us to absorb injury, to confront injustice, and to resurrect the pain in this world. 
before we go, a couple of things I'd like you to think about. Or no, we're not going anywhere. We've got a lot more church to, yet to do. But before I wrap things up, we don't absorb injury alone. You are not alone in whatever pain you are going through. And it takes enormous strength not to fight back. The good news is you don't do it alone. You do it in a community. We are your community. We are your family. And when you share your pains, it dissipates a little bit through the community. So, as we end this message, I want you to think about who has been in the community for you. Who has been your community that has helped you absorb injury? Secondly, I want us to think as the church, how do we confront injustice and pain and injury and harm in this world without adding harm? It takes incredible creativity, spirit, and faith to do so. But how do we as the church confront injustice without retaliating, without creating harm? And finally, who do you know that is absorbing a lot of injury and pain right now that needs a community, that needs this community? Who is God placing on your hearts? Pray for them. Think about them now. And ask God, how can we be the community that wraps our around, arms around those who have been injured and show that through the power of the resurrection, our injuries are transformed into power and strength? Let's take a moment and think about these questions uh, in a moment of prayer. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.